You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is ITK analyst David Lynch. David, how goes things? It's a beautiful day here in Sydney, Giles, when when we're recording this and we've got a great interview today uh, from a state in Australia which is leading the way. Um, And so what could be worse than a nice podcast? Better. (laughs) Absolutely. That's right, yeah. Um, Yes, we did an interview with Bill Johnson, the Energy Minister from Western Australia. Now, WA is really interesting. It's an isolated grid, uh, no connection to any other grids at all. Uh, It has a very high and growing penetration of rooftop solar. Um, It's got, obviously, a lot of people hungry to put in large-scale wind and solar because they're existing coal is getting quite old and more expensive and its gas is quite expensive and last week as we reported on a couple of occasions they released their distributed energy roadmap part of a three-pronged process to sort of accelerate reform in WA grid. Anyway a little while ago David and I caught up with WA Energy Minister Bill Johnson. Minister Johnson thanks very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. No worries happy to be here. Last week, the WA government released the Distributed Energy Roadmap. It's the first of three major reports as part of your energy transition uh, workforce. The next one, I think, is going to be the Whole of System Plan, which is broadly comparable to the Integrated System Plan being done by AEMO in the eastern states, and then followed up by a wholesale review of the um, of the market rules, something that I think you guys want to introduce about three years ahead of um Australia's main grid. We'll go into the details of the reports, but look, what struck me most about the distributed energy roadmap was the language you used. Clearly, there has been a problem with the amount of rooftop solar and distributed generation in the grid, but the language that you used in the report was very positive. It wasn't looking at this as a um, as a major problem. It was really seeing this as some sort of solution. Yeah, there's no question that uh, rooftop solar and other distributed energy resources is a real opportunity. Uh, but, uh, you know, the systems of the past don't work with the uh, technology of today. The first ones that, um, the main things that you've introduced, uh, I guess the main initiatives that you've introduced in this distributed energy report, well, there's 36 in total, and you've recommended that they all be adopted, um, which is good to see. The main ones have been around distributed um, storage. Western Power will um, install 10 so-called, I think they're called power banks or community batteries uh, in and around Perth over the next 12 months. And you're also looking to update inverter standards. Can you tell me why these are two of the most urgent priorities? Uh, Sure. The the, um, inverter standards have to be updated to make sure that we can uh, manage the uh, uh, rooftop solar. So um, you know, rooftop solar at certain times can overwhelm the grid, either locally or, or at a, combined, a, you know, a higher level. So we have to be able to manage uh, the resources when we need to manage them, um, because otherwise the alternative is that you limit the installations, and we don't want to do that. So um, being able to manage them at those critical moments 
uh, allows you to let everybody install. Uh, in terms of the uh, community batteries, they're there to overcome uh, challenges in the distribution network so that we don't have to do augmentation at the distribution level to the Western Power Grid. Uh, and of course, that also then gives the benefit of being able to give virtual storage to uh, people with rooftop solar so they don't have to go to the expense of putting behind the meter uh, batteries in. So you get two benefits at the same time. Do you see this as a preference for community batteries over individual batteries um, around the grid? Because I think in other states we've seen the South Australia government, the Victorian government, and more recently the Northern Territory government um, provide um, grants that would encourage individual uptake of um, for, for homes and businesses and perhaps even combining these into uh, virtual power plants. Does, does this mean that your preference in WA is to have the community-based strategy rather than the individual ones? Well, look, uh, the, the recommendation is also to trial a, uh, an orchestration project um, so that we can do effectively a virtual power plant. But, of course, I mean, nobody actually has a virtual power plant yet. Uh, we're very interested to see whether we can get a virtual power plant to work. As I say, we're, we're, we've got a uh, proposal for a trial, which we're seeking uh, Commonwealth Government support to uh, move forward with that trial. Um, so we we don't think that uh, behind the meter is 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 excluded. We're just saying that uh, uh, community installations are faster and more effective at this stage. As technology changes, well, then we can respond to that as well. But uh, clearly, the best technology today to solve today's problems is to install batteries. In the future, there'll be new technology, and we'll use that. David. Oh, thanks. Um, it's it's great to read the comprehensive program that West Australia is undertaking, and I wanted to just step back a bit and ask about, uh, I guess, the, how you got the pro what made you start the process, and in particular, when I was looking at the objectives, there doesn't seem to be an explicit decarbonisation uh, objective in there, and so I wondered if you could just step back a little bit uh, and tell me how you you got the process started and what what where you expect it to, what you hope it will achieve over the medium term. I'm sorry your, your question's broken up, but I understand you're asking about whether we have got a specific decarbonisation objective. Um, and uh, of course we do. Um, the state has endorsed uh, uh, the goal of achieving a 50% reduction in carbon emissions by uh, 2050, as has uh, other states as well. Um, this is about decarbonisation because it's about taking advantage of new technologies. Um, new technologies are now lower cost than traditional technologies and we have to make sure that they work uh, to supply reliable electricity for all consumers. At the end of the day, people don't actually care about electricity and they're not really interested in the debates about uh, you know esoteric electricity policy. What they want to do is use... A, use energy to support their lifestyle. And so what we're trying to do through the transformation strategy is make sure that consumers don't have to think about anything. They can just continue to consume their electricity, their energy in the best way possible. Now, in doing that, their behaviour affects the grid and therefore uh, if we can encourage good behaviour, then that uh, supports good outcomes for the grid. And uh, uh, the recommendations in the report outline a whole series of steps we can do to encourage uh, good behaviour to make sure the system works better 
than it would otherwise do. Thank you. And I, I apologize if my voice is breaking up. Um, um, I think I'm, uh, can, can you, um, uh, I, I guess the process seems to have had a high level of buy-in in West Australia and seems to provide to have achieved a fair bit in only 12 months or so of operation, 18 months. I contrast that with how things are working in the national electricity market over here in the rest of Australia. And it strikes me, I just wondered if you could comment on uh, why it is that you've been able to proceed so far as smoothly as you have. Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. So firstly, uh, we, we can make our own rules. We don't have to wait for any long, complicated process to come to a decision. Um, so that's the first thing is we've got legal authority to make changes the moment we want to. Uh, secondly, you know, I can literally hold a meeting with every single market participant in the room, and I'm, you know, I've done that on a number of occasions so far. So, you know, it is a very small uh, grid over here, so we can, you know, 100 people, you can basically have every major interest group uh, represented, and we've done that on a number of occasions, so it is a lot easier for us to consult. Uh, secondly, uh, thirdly, uh, we didn't privatise the grid, so we can make decisions about the interests of consumers uh, and the uh, future of the state rather than worrying about compensating the owners of the uh, fixed infrastructure because uh, we are the owners of the fixed infrastructure. And finally, uh, you know, because we didn't uh, deregulate the small business and uh, family you know, uh, family. Uh, the franchise market, we can uh, move quickly um, through uh, making decisions that affect tariffs and other uh, structures uh, because we control the, um, the franchise market. So, you know, because we didn't follow the failed uh, practices of privatisation and deregulation, we can get on and do things quickly. Back to you, Charles. I'm just thinking along those lines, you must be quite the envy of some of your um, rival um, energy ministers, state energy ministers, when you catch up with them. <laughs> well, they'd have to comment for themselves. But uh, certainly, uh, you know, we can get on and do things, whereas in the federal, uh, sorry, in the national energy market, uh, there's a much uh, longer process to get to a decision. You talked about your long-term um, decarbonisation targets. Um, I think that you're quite un well, not quite unique, but um, you do not have interim targets as far as I'm aware. Um, if you can confirm that's the case, I mean, do you plan to introduce any interim targets, such as 50% by X year? And if not, why not? Well, because this is a Commonwealth government obligation. The, you know, the, there's no point moving states separately because we're all part of a country. The Paris Accords were signed by the Commonwealth Government. They have set the obligations that Australia must meet. And so it's for the Australian Government to set, uh, explain to each of the states how we should go about meeting those targets. Um, you know, we're, we strongly believe that there needs to be national leadership around these issues. And uh, we look forward to that being provided. Mm. But you're very much your own state grid, though. Um, and you obviously are realising that there's a big uptake of distributed generation. Um, the costs favour, as you said, large scale wind and solar now, um, um, particularly for new large scale stuff. So wouldn't it help, though, yeah, to send out some signal? It misunderstands, it misunderstands the West Australian system. Uh, over half the electricity used in Western Australia is not used through a grid. 
So whilst the Southwest Interconnected System is very important to us, and I'm not trying to underestimate the importance of the, uh, the Southwest system, it's only just under half of our electricity system. And so most of the generation in Western Australia is not on the grid. So grid-based uh, policies don't impact half of our generation. So this is just another example of why we do need national leadership because, you know, um, we've always uh, made the point that uh, we, we can't have just grid-based policies if we're going to have effective outcomes on carbon. We need a national approach and uh, we're looking forward to the federal government continuing to provide uh, their understanding of uh, how we're going to achieve the targets that the federal government has set. David? So uh, I, I don't believe that the whole of system and uh, least cost expansion of the uh, modelling has been completed yet, but I just uh, wondered, do you think at this stage you will be investing in things like or developing uh, renewable energy zones and transmission links to those and um, of course in the broader West Australian context there are some very ambitious plans for uh, uh, large expansion of renewable energy uh, and export uh, of that in one way or another. I'm just wondering how that fits into the way you think about development of the electricity system in West Australia. Well, there are two separate issues there that you've raised. The, in, let's talk first about the grid and the renewable energy zones. Well, that's what the whole system plan will give us uh, an indication of. You know, as you understand, the, the high-voltage transmission system has been developed over many years, reflecting the fact that the coal power stations are in the south, but the best renewable energy resources is in the north, around Geraldton. So we've had an increase in the number of uh, renewable energy uh, producers in the north and they are, what, what the whole system plan will be able to indicate to us is do we encourage the construction of renewable energy in the south where we don't have to duplicate the um, high voltage transmission infrastructure even if the renewable resources are slightly uh, lower quality compared to continuing to allow lots of additional uh, renewable energy in the North Country, where the renewable energy resources are better, but would require significant investment in infrastructure. So the question is, what is the actual lowest cost option? Not lowest cost construction, but the lowest cost energy supply. And given you worry about the consumers and not the investors, it may well be that the best thing to do is encourage construction of renewable energy projects to the south of Perth and therefore not require the expensive duplication of those existing high-voltage transmission lines. And that might get you a better uh, cost outcome for consumers, which is the, obviously the most important thing in this debate. Uh, and uh, on, in the... In respect to the other, the other element, the, which is the export of renewable energy, that, that's not... Uh, generally speaking, that's not related to the grid. There is a couple of projects in the uh, North Country around uh, Geraldton, and uh, we, we follow those developments with interest and we work very closely with them. But the really, uh, you know, the major ones that are discussed are up in the Pilbara and the Kimberley, uh, and they, of course, will never supply west, uh, you know, the southwest of the state 
um, because of the cost of transmission. Um, they're, they're focused on export either through DC cables or much more likely in the form of hydrogen. Um, hydrogen, see, the, the hydrogen is, is, the, is the, you know, the, the holy grail, isn't it? Because it's a dispatchable, renewable technology and we're very excited. Um, you know, there's a whole range of benefits that Western Australia can get out of uh, chasing down the uh, hydrogen opportunities. My, my friend, the Minister for Regional Development, Alana McTiernan, is leading the government's hydrogen strategy, and I work very closely with her on that. So I think hydrogen is like the Holy Grail and, and just about as available and uh, accessible as the Holy Grail has proved to be. Uh, back to you, Giles. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Um, you mentioned the fact that um, half of the uh, generation is off-grid, and, um, and that's very true. Um, WA has actually been leading the way in standalone power systems, and it's interesting. I guess there's two things to sort of comment on here. One is um, your sort of prominent role in pushing forward the um, replacement of existing poles and wires with standalone power systems. And I know Western Power is very keen on doing that under their sort of new modular model. But we're also starting to see... Um, in those isolated grids in the Pilbara, um, the big iron ore miners also looking to increase their share of renewables. We've seen Fortescue um, Metals. We've also seen Rio Tinto, both are interested in building large solar arrays supported by big batteries, which reduces their gas turbine costs. Um, I guess there's two, two questions about two very different things, but both, I guess, not part of the main grid. I'm just wondering if you can comment on, um, on either or both of those. Sure. Well, standalone power systems are a really exciting opportunity for Western Australia because uh, we are, you know, in terms of the manufacturing of these facilities, we're, we're it. Um, these are being done here in Western Australia. And if people want to uh, get an understanding of what's involved, they should come to Perth and uh, we can introduce you to the manufacturers that are, are building these uh, unique facilities. Um, in respect of Western Power, because 3% of its customers use 51% of its overhead, distribution-wise, uh, you can see that there's a um, big cost incentive to uh, get our cost to serve for those uh, wheat belt customers down. So uh, we've rolled out the first uh, 57, uh, the second 100, the next 100 are, are committed. And you know we would expect about 6,000 customers to be served by standalone power systems over the next decade or so on the Western Power Network, plus others that are being put in by Horizon Power. It's interesting that um, rural consumers now, within just a short period of time, less than five years, they've gone from seeing standalone power systems as the substandard to being the preferred standard for supply of electricity. So, you know, we've got very high engagement with customers. We're regularly having people asking to now have standalone power systems. So, there really has been a transformation of attitude because of the way the technology has advanced over the last few years. So um, this is a uniquely West Australian thing because uh, we have such a large, uh, you know, in the southwest we have such a large grid serving, uh, you know, a very thin number of customers. And the cost, the 30-year cost of service for the overhead system is about 24 times more to serve a wheat belt customer than a customer in the metro area. So you can see the massive, because we have a uniform tariff policy, there's a big incentive for the government to uh, to roll these systems out. Um, in terms of the off-grid component, um, yeah, there's, there's absolutely, because there's been a crossover in costs, 
the, the highest cost electricity in the world is probably West Australian remote diesel generators. And um, the largest of those are usually um, uh, gold mining companies with short mine life. And because the, um, the cost profile for renewables has changed, particularly in solar, um, you can displace uh, diesel with solar quite uh, cost effectively, remembering that the mine life might be only five or six or seven years, whereas uh, the usual um, investment profile for a renewable project might be 20 or 30 years. And of course, you, have, you can't match those two things. So you have to have a technology that matches the investment horizon, otherwise no one will buy it. So because of the declining costs, we're now seeing substitution of diesel for solar and wind for gas, uh, and that's uh, fabulous. And, uh, you know, uh, the Agnew Gold Mine, which is a large uh, mine, has gone from um, uh, diesel to gas and uh, now a um, renewable energy microgrid, and they're having a 70% reduction in their carbon emissions. So there's enormous opportunities. I mean, even Chev uh, try again, Woodside is looking to use renewable energy for the uh, refurbishment of their northwest shelf gas plant. I mean, the opportunities for renewable energy in Western Australia are enormous, and we're working very closely with industry to uh, get all those benefits done. I just wanted to come back to the tariff structure that you mentioned then, um, and I note that you want to move tariffs to essentially achieve a policy objective, which is to shift consumption at the household level out of the evening in, into the daytime when the solar is high. That seems obvious. I just wondered in terms of the infrastructure required to do that, what's the story about metering at the household level and the information systems that would be required to, uh, I guess, run uh, a distributed energy system that's a major part of the total energy supply in, in, in the Swiss? Sure. So we're rolling out advanced meters at the moment. The, uh, the, the Economic Regulation Authority, which forms the same function as the AER in the federal system, so it's called over here, it's the ERA, um, approved the rollout of uh, advanced meters for Western Power uh, for, for about 20%, I think it's the right number, f uh, of the um, customers in the Southwest Interconnected System. Unfortunately, they didn't agree to the funding of the communications infrastructure to make the advanced meters operative. Uh, so the government has approved the $80 million project to roll the grid, uh, the, the mesh grid out for the communications infrastructure. And so that's happening right now. Uh, so we, we've trialled, uh, we had a in the Horizon Power, which is the people that in the remote parts of the state, they have trialled a new um, tariff structure called My Power, uh, where it's effectively a, a capacity charge and has been very well received by the 400 customers that are on that trial. And, uh, and Horizon Power continue to roll that trial out to further customers. Um, in the metropolitan area, we probably have a different challenge to the peak demand challenge that Horizon does in its 36 microgrids. Um, and so um, it'll probably be a different structured uh, tariff, although we are looking at a capacity tariff as well. Uh, however, because of COVID-19, we're not rolling that out at the moment. And we'll have to come back to that later on. 
but uh, the idea would be to roll out a, a tariff trial, perhaps 100 or 200 customers, just to see what uh, it's it, the the impact of the tariff, a, a new tariff, was on uh, on uh, consumers, and then uh, uh, review the outcome of that trial to see what we would do next. But you know, we're not uh, you know we're not going to move precipitately because uh, we don't want to have uh, negative impacts on consumers. Uh, but we would like to see whether we can design a tariff that encourages good behaviour. Um, uh, unfortunately, the COVID-19 situation uh, has led to a delay. We would have been uh, out recruiting customers right now for a September start, but uh, that's just not going to be possible. The um, whole of market um, design um, that you're also working on, I think it's coming out in October, what do you expect to sort of see in that? And is there any particular market failure that you're seeking to address? Uh, look, remember that we have a capacity market here, so we have, um, it's not, you know, I always say, um, uh, you know, electricity, you need a market, but you also need to be able to transport electrons. And, um, you know, the the challenges on the East Coast are often about the failure to be able to transport electrons. So people can make electrons at low cost, but then can't get them to a consumer to use. Uh, so we have to make sure that we don't get into that challenge particularly because we have a capacity market. There's no point paying somebody a capacity uh, fee if they're not then available when you need them. So we have to make sure that we can uh, look at all the infrastructure, like from a helicopter point of view, and say, well, what, what are the incentives that we need to build in to make sure that we're getting the type of generation that we need, the type of market response that we need. So part of that, um, you know, the, as, you, as you've acknowledged, we're also doing the foundation regulatory review at the same time. Uh, so, you know, traditionally the regulatory framework has been split up between producers of electricity and users of electricity, but of course now we've got, uh, you know, the transmission level, but now you've got uh, connection points that are both uh, contributing electricity at some times and consuming at others, not just the battery, but the, not just batteries, but also the distribution system. So, you know, what 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 market actually meets the what market rules actually meet the new way of doing energy and so um, the whole system plan and the foundation regulatory review really work together to uh, set us up for the future minister i think we're probably just about running out of time and we thank you very much for joining the podcast i'm just wondering if you could just leave us with the, your own vision of what the wa grid or what the wa electricity map or what consumers might be consuming in say 10 to 20 years do you expect it to be a renewables dominated grid largely distributed um i'll let you describe the vision rather than me putting words in your mouth sure well, look, the first thing is that I'm, you know, the, the Energy Transformation Task Force and the work we're doing here in Western Australia is very practical. You know, we're, we're about trying to get things right for the next five or ten years. In five or ten years' time, there's going to be another minister and he's going to have to work out what are the problems there uh, that exist at that time and he's going to solve those or she's going to solve those. You know, in the same way as you can't look back ten years and say, you know, every change that was made then was perfect it's not going to be the case that we're getting to perfection with these changes. The really important thing is that we're getting a good system. I, I, you know, the, the mantra that I've been inculcating into everybody involved in this process is let's not let perfection be enemy of the good. We want to have a good system that works for consumers, that reduces uh, carbon emissions and make sure that 
uh, new evolving technologies can be accommodated into the system, that we don't uh, overwhelm uh, the system and that we allow people to, you know, investors to get a return on their capital investment. But that's not the most important issue. That when a consumer comes home uh, and, and wants uh, to use the energy to, to have a good lifestyle, they're able to do that because that's the focus. Consumers really don't care about how things happen. They want things to happen. And uh, we just need practical outcomes at work rather than a system that's perf perfection, uh, but 10 years after we're all finished in our, in our jobs. So that's really the summary of what we're trying to achieve. Minister, once again, thank you very much for joining Energy Insiders. Thank you very much. And thanks for my uh, my part as well. Uh, I'd, I'd had, I had a major medical procedure last year and my cardiologist at the end of it said, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, perfection is the enemy of the good. And I was think I was able to tell her at that time that it was uh, either Voltaire yeah. or Rousseau. Uh, uh, yeah, I've looked, I've looked it up, but it's, it's, it's not clear exactly who said it, but um, uh, it's been used a number of times. I'm not the first one with it. But, but I think it's a great guiding principle because if you're trying to get the perfect system, you'll never get it. And that was the WA Energy Minister, Bill Johnson. Um, fairly impressive stuff, David. I think um, he must be the envy of the other energy ministers um, because he, as he says, they can make their own rules and he can get everyone into the same room and they can have a sensible discussion and, um, and he can get on and do things. Yes, well, I think we wanted to do this interview, you and I, because you can read the documents on the website from the Energy Transformation uh, workforce that they have in West Australia and you can see the, how much progress and what a commonality it seems to me of purpose uh, that, they, that, that they have in West Australia in reaching this goal whereas over here in the east um, I guess it's just um, there hasn't been that commonality of purpose and no one that's been able to uh, drive the agenda forward um, in any one space for whatever agenda someone proposes there's someone else uh, who has a different one who has just as much authority it was very interesting actually after the interview concluded there's a lovely little anecdote that uh, minister johnson shared about uh, when he became minister um, which was less than two years ago and uh, people were telling him about the need for reform. So he basically gathered everyone into the room and um, had a day-long discussion, a day-long workshop, and this three-pronged process um, is the result of that. And, and um, as you say, it doesn't uh, happen so easily in the eastern states. You've got an excellent piece on Renew Economy that you've written. It goes into some detail, and I think it sort of voices some of the concerns and the frustrations um, of the Australian energy industry and just sort of points to one of the major roadblocks or um, road humps, I think, in Australia is this um, Australian Energy Market Commission, which is the rulemaker here and has been under the purview of John Pearce for the last decade. And you point out exactly where it has gone wrong um, and possibly why. <laughs> Can you explain a little bit more well, about well, what you've written? Well, I, I want to say in West Australia too, whilst we're complimenting, I believe correctly, the minister, it looks to me like the chairman of that task force over there, Steve Edwell, who, who was um, chair of the Australian Energy Regulator for a few years, also seems to have had a very uh, clear view about the way to proceed. And I'm sure that um, it's a good team that make, gets a good result. When we look over here in the East, and everyone will have their own view about it, um, my feeling is that the, um, more than anything, John Pearce is fighting 
the last battle. And this was a battle when too much network assets were built and when there was too much uh, state-owned vertical monopolies. So he wanted to see, and it was the original vision was, to have an integrated electricity market and where the market and uh, the private sector uh, doing what it wanted to would produce the best outcomes overall. And uh, I just think that those objectives are fine, but in practice what's happened is that uh, it's ended up getting bogged down and um, the ideology has got in the way of a practical outcome. Um, yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. Um, I, I do recommend people have a look at um, David's article. Um, it goes into some detail, and particularly over two of the exact most sensitive issues around, particularly for new renewable projects, being marginal loss factors, and also the Kogati process, which is seen as a bit of a forerunner to the revision. It's it's not that, Giles. It's not just that. I've tried to actually, whilst those things are really important uh, to some people, they're also in some ways a fairly trivial sort of thing in the sense that uh, uh, the congestion losses uh, are really only about 1% uh, of, of the um, revenue. So fixing them up with a lot of complexity and uh, isn't really going to get any great advantage and it comes at the cost more than anything of all the resources that the AEMC has devoted to this issue over the past 10 years the two or 12 years the two separate attempts they've had to try and get some form of uh, locational pricing in uh, have just diverted away from the main goal and it just doesn't seem to me that uh, the AEMC has ever fully accepted that where the, the transformation that is going to be required in the electricity system, it's not just, uh, of course, John Pierce or the AEMC's problem. It's a lack of direction at the federal level, and I think is blindingly obvious. Uh, and it's the fact that there hasn't been any buy-in, really. It's just changing a little bit at the federal level to the AEMO's integrated system plan. The integrated system plan itself is not going to be as good as the West Australian uh, plan because it doesn't really have an explicit view on the least cost uh, modelling uh, generation that's going to be required and therefore it's a bit uh, undercooked in terms of how much guidance it could actually provide uh, if, we, if we were to take it forward. There is this issue that goes on about uh, how when, when we're going to reconfigure the grid and that is what we're going to do and that the two prongs of that are increasingly integrated the distributed system that is the, the solar and uh, batteries that are at household level but also the new renewable energy that's going to provide all the bulk energy uh, and then the firming that's required and where it's all going to be located the question is can you do that with the fundamental question is can you rely on the private sector to get everything about that right and get the transmission built or do you need some degree of centralized planning and control some degree of putting the horse before the cart which in this case means building transmission uh, and incentivizing the generation to go to that transmission um, rather than just uh, letting generators build where they will and uh, ending up with with a bit of a mess and and perhaps not enough firming generation being built and not in the right places and so I think this is why um, we're so some of us are so hopeful that the approach in New South Wales with the renewable energy zone 
um, and perhaps the New South Wales government doing the funding of the transmission connection in the first instance and essentially absorbing the risk of that line uh, before selling it back to the private sector, how this could prove to be a successful model. And of course, Matt Keane will have to actually prove he can do this. And uh, um, But if, if so, at least for new renewable energy zones, that could be a way forward. Uh, the question is what to do about the existing system as well. And so it's, it's, it's a complicated thing, but it, 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 West Australia shows that it can, in my opinion, that you can get this degree of buy-in provided you come forward with a sensible uh, results-oriented uh, plan, a plan. And you have some leadership, of course, with some vision of where they want to go. Absolutely. Look, I didn't mean to try and oversimplify your article, but anyway, look, that's a good explanation. Let's have a quick look at just some of the other news around. There's not that much. I guess we've had the Easter weekend since we last got together. But um, interestingly, over the Easter weekend, I guess we saw a continuation of low prices. They seem to be built in at least for a little while longer, particularly with the reduction in industrial and manufacturing output in the COVID-19. We've seen some huge demand reductions in Europe and the US, up to about 15 20%. Not quite so much in Australia, but I guess we we'll, might see um, over a longer time period what that comparison might be. And just a couple of important milestones, David. Um, over the weekend, we did reach 50% renewables over net demand on Saturday. Um, I guess an interesting thing about that was um, the amount of uh, rooftop solar and wind and also pumped hydro storage that was operating at the time. And over the last 12 months, I guess we're up to 25% renewables, all in, including rooftop solar, which just kind of shows how far we are along and um, how far we could, um, how quickly we could possibly go. Anyway, anything else to add? Those, that 25% number is actually uh, a little higher than the number I get. Uh, I'll have to go back and look and see what I'm missing in my numbers. I, I actually get us at about 20%, not that it really uh, makes that much difference. Uh, Giles, another thing that I think uh, is well worth mentioning, for years and years, uh, um, the... Liberal Party, frankly, has castigated South Australia uh, for its high renewables percentage and saying it's going to result in very high prices. Uh, we all know that historically that was because basically gas set the price a lot of the time in South Australia. But the interesting thing to me is that looking forward in the futures market now, uh, even though the liquidity is not very high, basically in South Australia, uh, the baseload electricity is now selling at a comparable price uh, at worst in the eastern states and actually lower prices, I think, uh, for the next couple of years in Victoria and than Victoria and New South Wales. So uh, this is showing that at the very minimum that a high renewables percentage doesn't necessarily have to mean higher prices for, for industry. And we'll just wait for that to sort of sink into some of the critics of the renewable energy. We might just hear a sort of a sharp thud on the floor when it does. Um, we might have to wait a little bit longer until that happens. Um, David, an excellent point. Um, thank you very much um, for joining us. Look, thanks um, to our sponsors, Evergen and Solaray Energy. We do appreciate your ongoing support. Thanks to all the listeners out there. Um, please leave a review um, on your favourite platform on Apple iTunes for a review is best. Um, do share the news around and do check out our other podcasts. We've um, in Solar Insiders we had an interesting interview with the head of Tindo Solar Australia's only solar manufacturing plant last week. And on the Driven podcast, we interview the new chief executive of Tritium, the electric vehicle charging manufacturer. 
Well, thanks, David. We'll be back again next week, this time with the promised interview with Bloomberg's um, Kobad Bavnari. It's a good interview, so um, looking forward to that next week. Indeed, Giles. It's uh, great to be chatting. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, providing fully integrated and optimised energy intelligence and storage for residential and commercial sites. With technology developed in Australia with the CSIRO, Evergen customers can maximise the return on their sustainable energy investment. Visit evergen.com.au and take control of your energy bills. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solaray Energy. Experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, they're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.